Y'all go ahead and be seated. And if you would, let's turn together to the book of Malachi. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. The book of Malachi. And as you're turning there, this coming Wednesday, we're going to be starting back our midweek gathering, our Wednesday activities. Dinner will begin at 5 o'clock. And as usual, if you're planning to come to dinner, please RSVP for that by noon tomorrow. Then at 6 p.m. this coming Wednesday, we are having a special called business meeting. And the Committee on Committees is going to present to us those members here that they have put forth to be on the Youth Pastor Search Committee. So plan to be there for that vote at 6 o'clock. That same night, children's ministry, youth ministry will start back at 6 p.m. And so we hope to see you there. The following day, Thursday morning at 9.30, the Well Women's Bible Study will start back. Uh, they're going through a book called Stronger by Angela Thomas um, this this winter, this spring, this semester, I don't know what we call it. Over the coming months, they're going to be going through Stronger. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can find Amy Bandre or Stephanie Aiken. They will actually be doing, and this is a good sales pitch for you, they will be having a brunch uh, breakfast this Thursday, 9.30. That is a women's Bible study for you men that just got excited about breakfast. Thursday. Also next Wednesday, uh, during the midweek gathering, so not this coming Wednesday, but Wednesday the 18th, we're going to be offering a new way for moms of children who are still in the home to come together and encourage one another. Uh, we've named this time the Arbor, and it's going to be taking place on Wednesday, starting at, on the 18th at 6 p.m. This is not a parenting class. So if you're li listening to that thing, oh, I need a parenting class, that's not what this is designed for. This is actually meant to be a time for moms to come together and build community in a time that fits really with their schedule. So while the children are going to be off into their studies, into their times designed for him, that, that study for moms will be together. And we want this to be an intentional time of building community and so what we're doing is requiring enrollment for that. I know that may sound odd to you, but signing up for that study for this semester. And so if you want to sign up for it, you can either come find me or my wife, Laura, after the, after the service today, or you can go to our website and sign up for it under the Women's Ministries, or you can contact the church office. Any of those things work, but we are asking to have a deadline of one week from today to sign up for that. So if you want to do that, either come find us, call the office, or go to the website. Now to the book of Malachi. It's an interesting book. I don't know if you've ever spent time in Malachi or even in the Minor Prophets as a whole. We know that this book was written in about 460 B.C., so 460 years before Christ came. And even the name of it, even the name Malachi... The name itself means my messenger. So was Malachi the name of the prophet or just the calling of his task? We don't know. We don't know much about that. And yet here's what I think you'll see. That as we dive into this book, you're going to see that this is incredibly applicable to us, even though it was written 2,600 years ago, that while the details may be different, the nature of man has not changed. That we still struggle in the same way and fight in the same way. But the good news is this, that as we see ourselves in this book, as we see our struggles, our concerns, our fears, one thing we're going to see is this, that the God that we need rushes to our aid 
and rushes to us in our time of need. And so that's where this book actually begins, in a place that most of the prophets do not begin with. So if you would, let's read together, starting at Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. The oracle of the word of the Lord. That word oracle literally means the burden. That God gave Malachi this burden that he was to carry. That he was the only one who had it. This word, this burden came to Malachi. And it was his task to carry this burden and to deliver it to the people of Israel. To the people of God. Why do you think it was a burden? Why would it be described like that? Well, surely we know that it is a heavy duty for the prophets. That they had the word of God and they were the means by which the people of God were to know their God. That's a big deal. Listen, for, for years as I prepared to preach, I would have this just weight in my chest. Like this, this heaviness about the task that was set before me. If you've ever preached before, I know we have some preachers in this room. If you've ever taught before, some of you feel this. That as you are preparing to teach God's word, you feel it. It's almost a burden on you, this heaviness that is upon you. Why? It has nothing to do with standing in front of people. It has nothing to do with crowds, nothing to do with any of that. But this There's a fear in you of what you are carrying, of what you are holding, of what you've been tasked with teaching and telling to others. This is the word of God. We say it so often, we forget it. And we say it so often as if it's just this thing. This is the word of God and this is Harry Potter. Let me say it again. This is the word of God. It's what you hold in your hand right now. It's what you carry. Some of you, you just taught a Sunday school class just a few moments ago. Some of you, you're going to leave here and you're going to teach a Sunday school class. It doesn't matter if you are teaching a room full of 80-year-olds or a handful of 4-year-olds. You are telling them who the God and creator and king of the universe is. It matters. Moms and dads, as you're raising your children this week, one of your primary tasks is what? To teach them who God is. Do you feel the the heaviness of that? The weight 
of that. It's a big deal. Malachi felt that burden, but there's a burden that comes in a different way as well. He knew what God knew, that it didn't matter in so many ways how he did it, how he said it. No matter what, he knew that he would preach and there would be many who just would not listen. They just wouldn't hear no matter what. They wouldn't take it and trust. They wouldn't obey. That's what the majority of the book of Malachi is about. It breaks down into these arguments. But it's not arguments like what you would expect. It's a collection of disputes between God and his people. That God's word comes to them and they argue back with him. They disagree with him. That instead of hearing and submitting, they say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true. We don't see that. We don't experience that. You are wrong, God. And that right there is the evidence of a people who have completely forgotten who God is. Is. In this book, we see a people that have forgotten who God is. That decades earlier, King Cyrus of Persia had allowed these exiles, these, this, this people of God who had been taken off into exile, he had allowed them to return to their homes, to their cities, and they found them in ruins. The temple was in ruins. Their homes were in ruins, and yet they had been given the blessing of coming home to rebuild. Now, if you recall the temple, the temple in Israel was meant to be a sign of God's presence among his people. It was the symbol that God, the creator of all, was right there among Israel. And so they set to work to restore the temple, to put it back together, to bring back this place that they could meet together with. And so they gather these needed supplies and they start building. And during the years that it's being built, you have Ezekiel and you have Haggai prophesying. And they are talking about how the temple once again will be the dwelling place of God among his people. How upon its completion, his glory would descend upon the temple and that he would be right there among them once again. Imagine that picture that as you are hammering and as you're giving and as you're working and carrying beams, the prophets are saying, keep going. Because God's presence will be among us once again. It was strength for them. Encouragement for them to just keep pressing forward. And then finally the day came. The temple was completed and God's people gather around the temple in anticipation of seeing what God's going to do. And nothing happened. Everything that they thought would happen didn't. And it's almost as if that day right there sets the people of God into this downward spiral in their lives. I mean, sure, they still came to the temple. They still bring their sacrifice. They still sing songs. They still hear the words. But every bit of their worship had become for them rote and stale. They still did it, but their hearts weren't in it. Now, let's not pretend for a moment that this doesn't happen to us. 
that there can be days where we get caught up in the wash, rinse, repeat of religion. We come to church, we sing two songs, then somebody comes up and prays, we sing two more songs, then some guy gets up and talks longer than he should. Then we leave, then we eat, wash, rinse, repeat. You ever been there? You there right now? That's where Israel was. And so God comes to them through the prophet and he says to them, I've loved you. And God's people look back at him and this is what they say. No, you haven't. How have you loved us? We don't see that. It's almost jarring, isn't it? That God would say that, and they would respond like this. That he would say to them, I love you. And they would respond, no, you don't. Look, we, we live in a way that right now is all that matters. That the question is, God, what have you done for us lately? How have you loved us right now? I look around and I don't necessarily see it. They ask that question, how have you loved us? And interestingly enough, God doesn't say, well, don't you remember this morning when? That thing last week that happened to you? Think about the last year. God doesn't respond in any of those ways. Instead, he goes back, not to the previous year, not even to the last decade. His answer goes back to before these people were even born. And amazingly, his answer to how have you loved us is not even an answer. Huh. It's a question. So for all you people that say you cannot answer a question with a question, apparently you can. How have you loved us? And God responds, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. We're going to need to explain that one, aren't we? What does that mean? Well, back in Genesis chapter 25, we read about the death of Abraham, the father of Israel. And his son Isaac takes a wife. Her name is Rebekah. And Isaac takes this wife, Rebekah, and she is barren. She cannot have any children. And so Isaac, as her husband, goes to the Lord on her behalf and he prays, God, grant her a child. Grant us children. And the Lord grants his prayer and Rebekah conceives. And then something interesting is happening. In chapter 25, verse 22, we read these words. That the children inside of Rebekah, now children, that means more than one, that there are two children inside Rebecca. We call that twins. Sorry, look, you're listening. That the children are fighting inside her tummy. They're getting an early start, these two boys. And this is what it says. The children struggled within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she goes to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord says to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. 
The older shall serve the younger. Now, that was uncommon, wasn't it? That's even uncommon these days. The older brother was to be the stronger, the blessed one, the one who receives the majority of the inheritance. And yet, even before their birth, God says, no, I choose Jacob. I love Jacob. I choose the younger one. He is my chosen one, not the older Esau, but the younger Jacob. And God's point is this. Remember the two nations in the womb of Rebekah. So all you guys saying, you don't love us, how have we loved you? He says, let me give you a history lesson. Remember those two nations. Remember Rebekah? Remember Isaac? Look back in your history. Your, you, Israel, are the descendants of Jacob, and I love you. But Edom is the descendants of Esau, and I've hated them. God says, look at them. I have laid waste to their hill country, and I've left their heritage to jackals of the desert. And Edom even may respond, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. And the Lord of hosts says, no, you won't. You may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this Israel. Now, some of you, you're hearing this and saying, what in the world is happening? This is not how I know God to be. This is not who I know him to be. What is he saying? He's saying to Israel, to the descendants of Jacob, I chose you. I saved you. I made my covenant with you, not with him. But I could have just as easily chosen Esau. I could have just as easily chosen Edom and his descendants. But I chose you. I saved you. I love you. You are mine because I chose to deliver you and to bring you out. I chose to provide for you and to protect you. That I haven't just shown you love this morning. I haven't just shown you love this week or this month. Your whole life, your whole history, your whole existence has been steeped in this love. So much so that you don't even recognize it. That you may look around and you see some circumstances and you say... This isn't going well. That's not how I would do it. This just stinks. God, what are you doing? Do you even love me? But God is saying, listen, you need to recognize your standing. That you, Israel, are my chosen ones. And if you need proof, just look at Edom. Now, God's love of you this morning, if you are a Christian, is proven by his choice of you. Why are you here? Why do you trust in Jesus, but your neighbor doesn't? Why will you, if you are a Christian, experience God's joy and blessing and eternal peace and goodness... And your neighbor won't. But they will experience his wrath. 
Surely you can't say it's because you're better than they are. Because you're better at making choices. Because you saw something they didn't. Because your life is better together and more put together than theirs is. No. God chose to love you. God chose to save you. God gave you eyes to see and ears to hear. And because of that, you saw Jesus for who he was. You heard the gospel and you believed because God did what he alone can do. He saved you. That's what he's saying to Israel. That's what he's saying to us. Now, Israel should have heard that and just been blown away by the kindness and love of God, by the fact that he chose them and loved them and delivered them. And you and I should have the exact same response. I mean, think about it for a moment. How do you think about this? That while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That while you were living in rebellion to God, God sent his only son to die in your place and to save you. That if you trust in him, your sin will be forgiven. That you won't spend eternity in hell for the sin that you committed. It's an amazing grace. Forget what he took away bad that he says to you, if you are mine, you will come to heaven with me forever. That you will spend all eternity with me and I will be showering kindness on you. And that for all eternity, you will see that your salvation was actually better than you thought possible. <laughs> that for all eternity, you will be learning that. That every day in heaven, you will, I hope we get to sleep, but you will wake up and you will say, it was better than I thought it was. And you will never come to the end of that because there is no end to the goodness of God. That every single bit of it will be you realizing he's better than you thought he was. That's what eternity will be like. It will give you a reason to sing because every day you are blown away by it. You hear that and you say, that sounds amazing. How much does that cost? What must I do to earn that and he says nothing i've done it all trust in me and i will save you that i've paid the cost of your sin with the blood of my son he's taken care of it trust in him look the incredible news of jacob is meant to be highlighted and contrasted with its comparison to the dark news for esau do you hear that part about Esau? They may rebuild. I will tear down. I've hated them. Their destruction is secure. What, what do you do with that? That's tough. I know that you don't read that without thinking, what? Wow. But this is what he's showing. That in the same way that God is for Israel and for her good, for the good of his people, he is against the enemies of his. That he is against the enemies of his people. That in the same way he is for them, he stands against his enemies. 
that not only has he not chosen them, but he is actively working for their destruction to keep them down. They say, we will rebuild, and God says, no, you won't. I'll tear that down too. Now, here's what we've got to realize. Israel was no better than Edom. You and I were no better than Edom. You and I deserve God's eternal wrath, and yet his message of grace comes to us every single week. Don't be mistaken. There are millions of people in this world who will never hear the gospel. And yet God's word says if they don't hear, they can't believe. And if they don't believe, they can't be saved. That if they die in their sin, they will spend eternity under the wrath of God. Let that sink in for a moment. You and I would be forever in hell if God's gospel did not come to us. That it is only by his grace that you and I are here this morning. That it's only by his grace that we hear the gospel. It's only by his grace that we believe the gospel. And friends, I hope that you do. I hope that you hear this message and you don't say, that's not true. That's not how this works. No, you haven't. God, you haven't done that. But instead, you cast yourself upon the mercies of God. For salvation is found in no one else but him. Look, if you've never done that, you may have been coming to church your whole life, doing everything you're supposed to be giving. The plate goes around, you put something in it. The songs come on, you stand when you should, you sit when you should. You do all those things right. Good job. But if you've never trusted in Jesus to take your sin, his life, his death, his resurrection for you, if you've never trusted in him as the only means to make you righteous, then you are still at odds with God because he's the only way. So hear this message today. Wake up from the funk of wash, rinse, repeat religion and say, I need Christ Because it is his grace giving you this message today. Hear and believe on Jesus and be saved forever. But if you're here and you are a Christian, then that fact alone should put to death anything in you that sounds like this response Israel gives. God says to you, Christian, I love you. And you can never say How? The proper response would be, why? Why, God, have you loved me? Why, God, have you saved me? Why, God, have you put your beloved son to death for my sin? And God's answer to that would be the same. Because I love you. Now, some of you, Words matter. Some of you, you hear the words, I love you, and yellow flags, red flags rise up, sirens begin going off, because you've heard those words before and you fell for them. That you had a spouse say, I love you, and clearly they didn't. 
that you had somebody in your life who was supposed to love you, a mom or a dad or a sibling, and they just left. They didn't. And so you hear these words, I love you, and say, I'm not falling for that again. But understand something. The love of God is different from what you're thinking. It's not some circumstantial, fallen, temporary love. This isn't the love of the theologian Tina Turner that said, it's just a second-hand emotion. No. It's the love described in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a love that is patient with you and kind to you. It's not envious or boastful, but it always seeks the good of the one upon whom it is set. The love of God is one that once it is set upon you, it will never be removed. And because you did not earn it, Christian, you can't lose it. You can't mess it up. If you are a Christian here this morning, that's the love that has been placed upon you. That's the love that is working all things for your good this morning. Do you believe it? Do you know today that God loves you? Now listen, the book of Malachi begins here because God is about to call them to obedience. He's about to call them to change the way they are living. Too often, we act as if our life is the prerequisite of love. That if I do this, God will love me. If I stop doing this, God will love me. But guess what? According to Malachi, according to God, his love is the prerequisite. That as you sit in and seep in this truth that God loves you and saves you, finally and only then will you be able to obey. Only then will you be able to love. Only then will you be able to forgive. Only then will you want to love. Will you want to live in a way that is true to Him? You'll no longer be content with heartless religion, with do's and with don'ts, because God is calling us to more. Last week we talked about how this church right here is to be salt and light in this community, that we are to be a picture of His grace and His love and His holiness to those around us. But understand something, we can't be that without knowing and understanding and believing the love that God has for us. So friends, we must get our house in order first. So where are you? Do you believe God's word? Or will you argue and wrestle against him? God's word for you this morning, I love you. Trust me. If you had never trusted in Christ and you want to talk to me after the service, please come find me. If you have and yet your love has grown cold and you just you mouth the songs because the words are up here, repent. Let's be done with rote. Let's be done with heartless. God is calling us to more. Let's go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. You are the God we need. And you are the God that is here among us.
I imagine there are some in this room, and I feel parts of it myself, that we have fallen for the duty of the Christian to do this, don't do that, and our hearts left it. We're supposed to sing here, but we're not even thinking about the God to whom we sing or the words that we say. Lord, may we be done with that. May we believe and trust and just be saturated in your love. And may your love transform us even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.